Are you tired of losing your rights and freedoms? The Alberta Prosperity Project has a solution for you. Join the community and learn more at albertaprosperityproject.com. And with you on board, we can achieve freedom and prosperity for all of us. How you doing, Ezra Levan? It's my name. I am the boss at Rebel News. I do a lot of things every night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I have a show called The Ezra Levan Show. I have a monologue, and then I interview an interesting guest, and then I read my fan mail or hate mail. I like it. keeps me busy, but I miss doing these noon hour live streams, which are unscripted, where I get to scratch an itch of an issue that comes up or be a little bit more casual about things, give you a little update on what's on my mind. And over the weekend, I was out at the Conservative Party of Canada Leadership Contest Results Night in Ottawa at their beautiful Shaw Convention Center, which is right downtown. You know, it was the first time I had been in Ottawa since the trucker convoy back, I was there in January, actually. Um, It was a little eerie. I mean, I had a little bit of uh, some flashbacks of that place just chock full of police. And I wasn't even there the worst of it. I wasn't there when they deployed the riot horses to stomp on people. I wasn't there when they had the full riot police that were shooting our reporter Alexa Labois. They weren't beating people with sticks. Uh, I wouldn't say I was traumatized to be back in the city, but I certainly had um, nervous memories of what it was like in our nation's capital to have martial law, a form of martial law imposed. Uh, But there we were, and in fact, the very fact that the Conservative Party of Canada was having a leadership race was a domino that fell because of the truckers. You might recall that the feckless, the impotent, the eunuch Conservative opposition leader for the last two years was Aaron O'Toole who conservative opposition leader, he was not conservative, he did not oppose, and he was not a leader. And this was so awful and so obvious. You know, there was nothing he wouldn't do to comply with the liberals. He was for the carbon tax. He gave it some strange name, but it was a carbon tax. He called it a levy or something. Um, He was indistinguishable from Trudeau on every small thing, but on the big thing of the day, too. The lockdowns, the mandatory vaccines, the extreme approach to forcible public health, which frankly is contrary to the Nuremberg Code if you know anything about medical ethics. Aaron O'Toole was so useless and that was boiling under the lid of the pot, but when the truckers came to town and he banned his members from meeting them, well, that was when the Conservative Party said, yeah, no thanks, and they threw him out the window. So that's good news. Because there was no way Aaron O'Toole had a chance of beating his boss, Justin Trudeau, any more than Jagmeet Singh has a chance of beating his boss, Justin Trudeau. The other domino that fell because of the truckers was Jason Kenney being thrown out of the leadership of his party. <laughs> Incredibly, a first-term premier. Not he won't even see the end of his term. That leadership is coming up in about a month. That's going to be very interesting. But back to the Conservative Party Leadership Convention. Uh, you know, I brought this on the screen. I don't know if you can see it. It's, it's pretty boring. It's just the name tag. So I go to the convention center, and I didn't even have to furnish any ID. They recognized me. And they said, oh, Monsieur Levant, which is how I sometimes go. When I'm traveling, when I'm feeling fancy, I pronounce my name with a French accent. Um, it says, Monsieur Levant. And they gave me my media 
pass. And you know, the fun, I just love that word. I don't know if you know, for a leadership contest, the word en français is, is chefferie, like uh, to find the new chef, the new chief, the chefferie. I love that word. So this is the media pass that I wore. And uh, it was a pleasure to have pride of place on the media riser at this convention. You know what a riser is, it's just what it sounds like. It's a couple feet high where you can set up your cameras to have an unobstructed view of the stage. It's behind all the audience. So you have the stage at the front where the speakers are, then you have you know, hundreds of seats for the delegates and then behind them on a riser are all the media. And there was a big row, like in the middle of it, was the Conservative Party's own camera set up. And then you can see me there, um, looking as handsome as ever. Uh, and you can see how modest our equipment is. It was a tripod with a, um, uh, a cell phone as a camera. I'm using my AirPods as the microphones and I'm sitting on a chair. That's a pretty bare bones setup, but I think you can make up in the background. You can see a few things in the background. So. Um, it was a very modest setup compared to um, just to our uh, right was CTV's big setup and then the CBC obviously dominates. They have a huge crew. They have an enormous crew. They have their producers and directors and their talent. And then as our uh, videographer Guillaume Roy pointed out to me, they had a completely separate crew to come tear it down like to, to take the chairs away, to take the equipment away. CBC not only had a full English team, a full French team, producers and directors and inters and hangers on and makeup people and coffee people, like uh, it was an enormous retinue all in your taxpayer dime. Uh, but then they had a separate team because God forbid the talent carries a tripod. God forbid the producer or director uh, takes a light down. So, um, it was me talking into an iPhone and our crew, I, I love it, it was William Diaz-Bertillon, Alexa Lavoie, et uh, Guillaume Roy. It was an all Francophone team, which was really fun for me. It shows how Rebel News has grown. And I loved hearing them banter en Francais, um, which I think was their code, so I couldn't understand it. And I, I do understand a little bit of French, and I don't let them know that, so they can't use their codes to, to hide from me. Um, yeah, so as you can see, Alexa was there. Anyway, my point is, so I walk in, and they escort us in the friendliest way to get our media pass, and Alexa is mobbed as a conquering hero. People were posing uh, with selfies for me. Security guards were identifying themselves to me and, and saying hi and thanks. It was actually really wonderful, and it was confirmation to me that the grassroots of the Conservative Party and the grass tops, which is maybe what I would call the folks who would go to Ottawa for the event, they love Rebel News. It was just that liberal Aaron O'Toole and the previous liberal Andrew Scheer who had a beef with Rebel News because they actually weren't true conservatives, were they? I think Andrew Scheer actually was a true conservative. It's just that he was also a coward. So he never lived up to his true beliefs. Aaron O'Toole, I don't think was, I think with him it was actually the reverse. I don't think he was a coward. I just think he was a liar when he said he was a conservative. As soon as he got in, he tried to be a liberal. So in the case of Andrew Scheer, you had a cowardly conservative, like the lion in the, in the uh, 
in that movie. Um, I just forgot the name of the movie. Wizard of Oz, thank you very much, The Cowardly Lion. <laughs> uh, and in the case of Aaron O'Toole, you had a man who was not a coward, but he was a liar. Um, maybe like the Tin Man, he needed a heart. Um, but those names are ancient history. They did get Alberta Prosperity Project, by the way, is the, is the commercial sponsor of this segment. Happy to give them a shout out. Feel free to go to albertaprosperityproject.com. In fact, I co-hosted a debate uh, that they chaired in Alberta a few weeks ago on the provincial leadership. So I really enjoyed spending some time with Alberta Prosperity Project. So give them a check out if you're interested. They're our sponsor today. Um, but back to the conservative thing. So it was wonderful to walk in and feel the love and to take our rightful place on the riser. Okay, now that I've given you that background, let me show you some of the interesting things we saw. Um, you know, the headline uh, coming out of the event was that uh, Pierre Polyev won on the first ballot. Uh, if I understand the system correctly, they had a ranked ballot. You would put, like, your first choice, this candidate, second this. Th and if, if no one had an outright majority on the first round, then they would find the last place candidate, take all of their ballots of the people who marked them first, and then reapportion them to who did you put second. Who, and then... If that wasn't enough, keep going, keep going, keep going. And by the way, a few years ago, it took, I think, 13 rounds for um, Andrew Scheer to beat Maxime Bernier. It was that close. It was not close on the weekend in Ottawa. In the first ballot, Pierre Polyev got 68% of the points. I say points because each district was given 100 points uh, proportionately. So some districts that had 500 members, other districts had 3,000 members, they both would be worth 100 points. So there was a bit of strategy going on there. Jean Chrétien, I remember he put out a press release a few months ago saying he had the path to victory because although Polyev may have had more votes, um, Jean Charest had the points, implying that he was very strong in Quebec and the Atlantic, the smaller population places, he did not. In fact, Polyev won every district in Quebec other than, I think, six. In fact, I think he won every district in the country other than, I think, nine or eight. It doesn't matter. It was so overwhelming. And the, the sheer size of that first round win, I think, was important when combined with Polyev's generous words of support or friendship to Jean Charest's victory speech. What I'm saying is, Polyev absolutely won everything that could be won, including in Quebec. So Jean Charest had no case he could point to to say, oh, the party is divided, my way actually should have won, could have won. Look, I can win in Quebec where Polyev can't. Look, I can win in Toronto where Polyev can't. No. In fact, uh, Polyev won even in the places that Charest thought he would. So his dominant victory, combined with his very friendly words, shouting out um, credit to Jean Charest for his years of service and duty, uh, I think really took the air out of the balloon of anyone who was going to say this party is disunited. 68% on the first ballot is going to be pretty united, I think. I think we got some audio coming in there. Not sure what that sound is. Um, So that was the, the headline. Jean Charest did come in second. 
Third place was Leslin Lewis, and fourth place was Roman Baber, who got 5%, which doesn't sound like a lot. Well, when there's only 32% left after Pierre Polyev, it's not bad for a guy who really was from, he's not an MP, he was an MPP in Doug Ford's provincial government, got thrown out for opposing the lockdown. So in a very short period of time, I think he became a national force, which is very exciting. Um, I want to show you a few clips and then I'm going to skedaddle. Here is a clip from Pierre Polyev's victory speech. I thought it was a good speech. There wasn't a lot of things that were completely new, but I think it would be new to a lot of people who tuned in for the first time. Who is this guy who just won? They would have heard it for the first time. Here's some clips from Pierre Polyev. They need a prime minister who hears them and offers them hope that they can again afford to buy a home, a car, pay their bills, afford food, have a secure retirement, and God forbid, even achieve their dreams if they work hard. They need a prime minister who will restore that hope, and I will be that prime minister. We will rekindle the hope that people's paychecks and savings can again buy a decent life. We will make government affordable so that life is affordable. We'll cap spending and cut waste to reverse inflationary deficits and taxes. That includes axing new taxes on your paycheck, gas, heat, and other essentials. Well, you can, I don't know if you heard it, but he said restore hope, rekindle hope. You know, I see the uh, Toronto Star is saying he's full of rage, he's Trump, he's negative, he's full of hate. I don't know, the words renew hope, restore hope, rekindle hope, that's sort of positive language to me. Um, I think that the liberals are running a playbook. You know, they say generals always fight the last war. They're always refighting the last war. I think the, the liberals and the liberal media, which are really part of the same team, um, yeah, let's take a look at this. Uh, uh, here's, uh, here's the Toronto Star. Um, scroll up a little bit uh, to the headline, Can Polyev's New Message of Hope Soothe the Angry Masses? Actually, look at that. That's actually a fairly accurate headline. Isn't that funny? I thought you were going to put up, like there was about six Toronto Star headlines last week about how he's full of bile and rage. Um, and the Toronto Star's view is the only people allowed to be angry are the government. Yeah, look at that one there. <laughs> look, at, look at this headline in the, in the star. Uh, Pierre Polyev needs to cool down his angry mob before someone gets hurt or worse. Yeah, that's where the violence is coming from. Not the uh, government that deployed riot police to literally stomp on peaceful protesters that seized hundreds of bank accounts because you dared to criticize the king. Yeah, the trouble is the opposition leader for opposing to oppositionally. They want to tone police Canadians. That's the same Toronto Star. Can you find their front page? Remember that front page on vaccines? I'll just never let them forget it. If I live to be 120, I'll still be talking about this. Um, you could literally Google, because people search for it so often. It's one of the suggested searches. If you go to Toronto, yeah, there it is. Yeah, show that. This is the front page of the Toronto Star, not too long ago. Um, unvaccinated people, should we even let them, they don't deserve to be in the ICU. Should we tolerate them? Is it okay to hate unvaccinated? Like they're, half their front page above the fold, as they say, was 
dehumanizing. Literally, you put the word Jew in there instead of unvaccinated. That could have been Der Sturmer, a Nazi publication. Unbelievable, pure hatred. Not scientific, not rational, not argued, just pure emotional hatred in Canada's largest newspaper by circulation, Canada's most bailed out newspaper, dollar for dollar. And these are the folks telling Polyev, you're not allowed to object in, with any anger. The only anger that's allowed in this country is Trudeau to be anger, angry at you. So yeah, Polyev did have some positive talk. Now, I don't want to stick around too much longer. We've got to let others come on. But I want to show you who I thought was the star of the night. I had heard Pierre Polyev a lot. And like I say, he didn't say anything new. He just said it to people for the first time as the leader, many of whom had not been turn, turning in before. Uh, but let me show you um, what I thought was the highlight of the night, which was Trudeau, uh, sorry, Trudeau, uh, Polyev's wife, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Anaida Polyev, A-N-A-I-D-A, N-A-I-D-A. Uh, she's from Venezuela, her family's from Venezuela. She speaks English and French and Spanish, and she was deployed. She is going to be a campaign asset She's going to be the outreach officer of the campaign to immigrant communities. She speaks French. She speaks Spanish. Play a clip of Anaida Polyev. My father, he went from wearing business suits and managing a bank to jumping on the back of a pickup truck to collect fruits and vegetables because that's what he had to do to feed his family. Taught us hard work and that there is no greater dignity than to provide for your own family. Well, she went on at some length. It was wonderful to see. You know, Sophie Trudeau was the toast of the town um, for about a day uh, until the Globe and Mail interviewed her and she said such appalling things, such weird things. She was really into crystals. She talked about how, we should dig that article up. It was in the Globe and Mail, an interview they did. They never let her do an interview after that. She talked about Trudeau's pure blood and, and it was just really weird and creepy and they never let her talk to the media again. Not that she really would, the two of them estranged Sophie often without her wedding ring. And I'm not saying that to make fun. I mean, listen, marriages uh, are tough at the best of times in a stressful position with a serial groper like him. It's gonna be tough in, in the, um, the you know, fishbowl of Ottawa. Uh, and I think it's fine that the media gives Sophie Trudeau uh, a break. Uh, I think it's sort of gross that she is a gold digger who, she was the force behind Trudeau wanting that vacation at Billionaire Island of the Aga Khan. She was the one who called up the princess and said, can I come with my girlfriends? It, Justin Trudeau did not, there were several trips to that island. Justin Trudeau was not even on all of them. It was Sophie the gold digger. She reminds me of Meghan Markle. Uh, anyhow, sorry, my point about Sophie Trudeau is after that disastrous interview with the Globe and Mail, they never let her talk to journalists again because she's a little kooky. And she rarely campaigns with Trudeau. Once in a while, she comes out for a photo op. Uh, usually, uh, it has to be accompanied by foreign travel. I mean, you know, Trudeau will say, look, I'll, I'll take you to Japan and we can have an amazing trip to Japan. In return, will you, you know, do a campaign photoshop, a photo op with me? 
Uh, it's sort of sad in a way. By the way, I do not, I am not 100% sure that Sophie Trudeau is vaccinated. She was so pure blood, don't touch me, spiritual energy, Green Party vibes. I'm actually skeptical that she's jabbed. I have no basis for that other than speculation that she was so new agey. I don't think she is a big pharma kind of gal. That's just speculation on my part. My point is, you've never heard from Sophie Trudeau again. And that's probably the right move for her. It's probably the right move for Justin Trudeau and his campaign. And I think it's fair because I think that she is not fit for public communications. Let her be a mum. Let her raise those kids. And I don't want her to be a gold digger getting the country in trouble by, you know, snoring, grifting free trips to Billionaire Island, pretending she's a Kardashian. She's really gross that way. But leave her alone. Leave her alone. Anita Polyev is the secret weapon that Trudeau, that Sophie Trudeau never was or could be. And I think she's going to be amazing on the campaign trail. And I think Pierre Polyev with Anida Polyev is going to be a dramatic rebuttal to Mr. Blackface Von Gropihans, Justin Trudeau. I think it's going to be very powerful. I think Trudeau is going to be fighting the last election, thinking he's up against those losers, Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Scheer, or even against Stephen Harper. They're going to play the same message track. Oh, he's racist. Oh, he's anti-immigrant. Really, his wife's an immigrant. Oh, he's anti-minority. Really, his wife's a minority. Oh, he's so hateful. Really, he's talking about rekindling hope, and he's talking about inflation and the price of housing while you're talking about what a feminist you are, Mr. Groper. So I think it's going to be very interesting. I enjoyed my weekend. I enjoyed going to the Conservative Party convention. And with that, I'm going to bid you adieu. And I'm going to turn you over to my colleague, Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter holding the fort in our western outpost. Over to you, Sheila. We're going to go over an ad first. We're going to have a quick ad, quick change. Ad, and then we'll go to Sheila. See you later, everybody. We're here for all over. Canadians. We're here fighting for the freedoms of not us, but our kids, our grandkids, the future of this province, this country. We are prepared to put everything on the line. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views. I've also received reports uh, in the last hour of people uh, allied with the protesters assaulting RCMP officers. No, that was an assault between the two, two, two civilians, between a protester and a civilian. So Jason Kenney's statement was not true at, at the press release. I can tell you what I just told you, sir. They have just blocked the border here in Coots, Alberta to Sweetgrass, Montana. We don't want to put anybody's livelihood in jeopardy. That is the very last resort. But this is something I don't, well, I've certainly never seen before. Freedom and peace and loving. That's the Canadian way. It's not like CBC or any of these other mainstream news channels are making it out to be. I am not a white supremacist. battle we have.
Well, good morning, good afternoon, everybody, depending on what part of the country you're in. I'm as Ezra introduced, I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed. I'm the chief reporter here at Rebel News. And I'm joined today by my Calgary-based colleague, Sid Fizard, who is prominently featured in the Coots documentary, by the way. Sid, how's it going? Oh, I'm just doing pretty good. There's been a bit of a lively weekend, especially with the Conservatives. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that from an Albertan perspective. Yeah, and that's a great... Uh, point for us to remind our viewers of that Monday is sort of the Alberta centric show. Um, so if you're from the rest of the country, you're gonna get gonna get a good, healthy uh, dose of disgruntled Albertans. <laughs> sort of fed up with Confederation and our treatment within the country. But um, you know, it is what it is. Um, you can't fix a problem unless you talk about the problem. And it's a good chance for me to remind everybody that today's show is sponsored by our friends at the Alberta Prosperity Project. Um, they're a not-for-profit, non-partisan educational society uniting all Albertans and businesses and organizations to protect their interests, freedoms, rights, prosperity, and self-determination. And to learn more about the Alberta Prosperity Project, with whom we are proud to sponsor or partner on several uh, projects, you can go to albertaprosperityproject.com. Now, now that that's out of the way, uh, I'm not sure if Ezra reminded everybody, if you want to interact with us here at Rebel News, there's a couple of great ways to do it. Um, you can watch us on YouTube, but we're completely demonetized on YouTube. And YouTube kind of, they it's a censorship platform, to be honest with you. So if you want to interact with us and support the work that we do, out of the goodness of your heart and out of your free choice, unlike what Justin Trudeau forces you to do with the mainstream media and support them uh, against your will. I just saw a news article this morning that says they actually got an additional over half a billion dollars in COVID funding, the mainstream media. So no wonder they want that COVID scare to keep on going and going and going. That's that's the gravy train with biscuit wheels pulling into town for them. But if you want to support the work that we do, it, you can do that on Rumble. And on Odyssey, uh, Rumble, you can leave us a paid chat called a Rumble Rant. We'll do our best to read it on air. And on Odyssey, it's called a Hyper Chat. A couple different ways you can send us one of those. Um, Odyssey has their own library cryptocurrency. I don't entirely understand cryptocurrency, but I'm happy to take it. Um, and regular old fiat currency, they'll let you do both on Odyssey. And again, if you want to interact with us, support the work that we do, or ask us a question, suggest a story idea, that's your way to do it, and it's our way of democratizing the show for you. Um, Sid, before we get too far into the show, there's one thing that I saw on Friday in a press conference from Jason Kenney, because I watch these press conferences because, well, frankly, because I'm paid to watch them. But it was about the Alberta government finally, three years after the announcement of the plastics ban, from the federal government actually challenging the plastics ban. And I'm like, you know, we're like 900 days since the thing was announced and it's already been implemented. Thank you for coming along and offering to challenge it uh, a thousand days later. But, you know, something's better than nothing, I guess. And in that press conference, though, I was like, who is this Jason Kenny, And why is he making me like him right now? Because he actually said something that was quite good it was a, quite a good quip the this journalist emma graney i neither like her nor dislike her but you can sort of tell where she comes from when she's trying to hammer jason kenny on do you think plastic is toxic because as it sits right now the liberals have labeled plastic 
as a schedule one toxin with lead, mercury, asbestos, um, and all sorts of other terrible things that will actually kill you that are actually toxic. You probably shouldn't hold in your bare hands, but plastic is not. It's inert. Um, I think we have to figure out better ways to deal with plastic waste, but I don't think plastic waste is actually a bad thing. I, I actually have my own views on what we should actually do with it um, because it's a stored fossil fuel. But anyways, enough about me. This journalist asked Jason Kenney, it, and she really wants him to, she thinks she's got him if he says plastic is definitely not toxic. But anyways, let's show this clip and then we'll talk about it. They're saying that there's no evidence that plastic is actually toxic or that the federal government hasn't proven so. So does the Alberta government then share that view that plastics are not actually toxic? Well, this time, that, that may be a question that's best directed to, to our client, which is going to be Alberta Environment and Parks. So they're the instructing client who will be providing us. We're at JSG going to be obviously providing the, the work to, for us to be able to intervene and defending the, the provincial jurisdiction. But that may be a question that's best answered by the folks in Alberta Environment and Parks. But there's no one here from, from there. So I'm just, can, can you clarify, like, do you believe that plastics are toxic or not? Because that's the heart of that case, right? Sorry, Mr. Yeah. Premier. No, because they're not. You're holding a plastic phone there. I don't think you're, you're, I don't think you believe that it has the toxicity of arsenic, which is the, the same category under which this has been listed. This. Who's that guy? <laughs> Who's that guy? Where was he the last three years? I'm like, that's exactly right. That's the best answer. You're holding a plastic phone. Your lanyard's plastic. Um, why? Like, it's just the dumbest thing to think that plastics are toxic. Um, and good for him. But I just, I'm curious who that guy is. Well, and a whole part of the environmental movement is plastic bad, oil bad. Uh, and there's actually another article I found uh, recently, which is that there's a breakthrough discovery in carbon capture conversion for ethylene production. So in the environmental initiative, there's the carbon capture movement, which I think Alberta, I think it's fair to say, has been at the forefront of that. Uh, and now it seems that in approaching environmentalism, they've reverted back into a positive use of oil and gas and of the carbon that they now plan on capturing and turning into plastic or for the use of creating plastic. So I thought that was a, a kind of a funny turnaround. And as well with Jason Kenney, uh, and I noticed this in listening to a couple of the, uh, the press briefings that uh, there was one as well on guns and they're going to be trying to uh, alleviate the long wait times it takes to register for firearms and to do all sorts of uh, documentation around that by main Alberta initiative instead of an Ottawa initiative that's actually taken care of in uh, Nova Scotia, I believe. So it's funny to see Kenny, uh, his stance coming up to what's going to be his, uh, I guess, stepping down. Yeah. Uh, again, I say, if this guy, if this was the guy that we were dealing with for the last three years, great. Um, but it hasn't been. But I, I was reading that article that you passed along about, um, and it, it is true. Alberta has been Alberta and Saskatchewan. The boundary mm -hmm. dam in Saskatchewan, and then Alberta just sort of up the road for me in Joseburg. Alberta is a big province. You'll never find my house, weirdos. So don't, I'm not worried about it. But just up the road from me in Josephburg, there's a huge carbon capture facility. And it, and it is because this whole chunk of area is on top of a salt bed. And so there's salt caverns under the ground, which makes it great to store carbon. Now, I always thought storing carbon was a little bit crazy because I don't think it's toxic. I think it's plant food. So why are we spending all this money to store carbon under the ground? But as it turns out, while they were storing carbon, they were actually storing a component 
to make ethylene, which is used to make plastic. So I'm just like, okay, great. Start up the plastic mines. <laughs> We've got the plastic yeah. mines Yeah, that's here. exactly what um, it is. We're going to be mining for carbon now. <laughs> I'm very excited because they've been storing it up the road and no one ever figured out what to do with it. I'm like, we just can't keep shoving it into the ground. But as it turns out, six tons of CO2 come out of the atmosphere when they create one ton of ethylene this way. So I'm thinking plastic might save the world if you are a hippie who's scared of CO2 then get making everything must be made of plastic now. It's going to save the world. Well, and I... And they mentioned too that this isn't even net zero. This is net negative. <laughs> so yeah. uh, these net zero initiatives—they're—they're—they're they're, they're shown to be completely silly when we've got these amazing alternatives yeah. that are coming up because of the advancements in technology that we knew were coming. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. Now, uh, staying on the topic of Alberta. Um, let's talk about what's going on um, with new details emerging around those who are arrested at the Coots border blockade. And frankly, who better to weigh in than you? You spent uh, two hard, long weeks of your life there. Very cold. I think that was your first Alberta winter experience, and you <laughs> were doing it on the Baldast Prairie in Coots, so there's not even a tree there to break the wind. Um, tell us what's going on there, because there's um, there's strange stuff afoot down there. Yeah, to say the least. Well, uh, as some of our viewers might have known, uh, on September the 6th, uh, we published our article, uh, Prosecutor Tries to Slap Quarter with Punishing Release Conditions. And then it just so happened that the, uh, the day later, um, and we have the uh, CBC article here, I believe, but uh, there are new documents that were released. Um, and I'm just trying to find the uh, exact thing here. Right. So four ITOs were unsealed and filed with Lethbridge per, uh, Provincial Court on Wednesday after a legal challenge from a group of news organizations, including CBC, Global, CTV, The Globe and Mail, Post Media and The New York Times. Now, they've all published articles okay, so far. I, sorry, I'm just going to. I'm just going to cut you off here because these guys were all protected by a publication ban and that publication ban was asked for by their defense lawyers. So we have had very little information come out about this. So people have been asking us all along, why aren't you reporting on this? Why aren't you why aren't you reporting on that? We couldn't. There was no information available because these guys were protected under a publication ban. So some organizations they went to court they got some doc some documents unsealed sorry i'll shut up now take it away sid no no that's exactly it um they got some documents unsealed and uh, i believe uh, coming up this month they're going to be having a an appeal or whatnot to perhaps reveal some more of the information within those documents um, but it's a little bit i think the timing is kind of funny uh, but rest assured i just want you know people to know we are actively seeking to obtain those documents uh, i'm not going to stop till i get them so uh, i am looking forward to that and it's unfortunate that in all the uh, the articles that they put forward uh, the only one i haven't seen as of yet is the new york times to publish something about it uh, but for the rest of them uh, they don't actually uh, show the documents in full there's a glimpse of them in one of the videos that was published for the most part it's all just them quoting not actually showing the source material so we uh, we look certainly look forward to finding that information you know and that's a lot different than what we do here at rebel news so when we have original source documents, if we get access to documents, if we are making court filings, if if we're making appeals, 
we publish those documents. Access to information, we publish the documents. We'll do a video, we'll read through them, we'll quote them in the article accompanying the video. But it is important that the public can fact check us and see the context of the whole scope of documents because you can cherry pick one line and you can have that mean whatever you want in the context by which you're stretching it to fit. Um, mm. And that's why we publish the documents in full. And it's really easy. We are not technical wizards here over at Rebel News. Well, some of us are. But, you know, it is not a complicated process to embed a document on your website. And people really should wonder why the other news organizations are not doing that, why they don't publish documents in full so that the viewer can read them. Well, and I just uh, shared one of the articles uh, to our team. Hopefully they can pull it up. It's a CTV article on the same topic. Um, and I noticed at the very end, it seems like they were uh, uh, quick to want to report on this story because at the bottom, they had to issue a correction saying that this article was modified to comply with a court-ordered publication ban. Um, and of course, with a lot of these mainstream media outlets, they have, uh, I don't know what you would call them exactly, but other like no-name media websites that'll basically replicate their articles and publish them. Uh, and some people have done that for the uh, CTV article as well. So it's a shame that, you know, they're being granted this access and yet they can't even uphold the standards that got them that access in the first place. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, frankly, especially with the CBC, it is the Canadian taxpayers who Sorry, got them CTV, access my bad, to if these I documents. Yeah. No, but I'm, I'm also saying CBC, they've also published on the same thing. I mean, CTV also, I mean, they're on the public purse as well. Um, but yeah, when the Canadian taxpayers are also helping you hire lawyers to go to court to get access to these documents, the least you could do is give the Canadian public the access to the documents that they inadvertently paid for as well. Yeah. And uh, lastly, if I could just say, I did recently interview Chad uh, about a couple of the individuals who uh, the Democracy Fund is helping defend from the 13 who are arrested, uh, not the ones who were charged with conspiracy to murder or those individuals, but uh, the two individuals that were being represented, uh, their charges actually got stayed. We'll have a, a full report on that soon, but uh, I wanted to get our hands on these documents so that we can kind of com uh, contrast to the two and all of the individuals that were involved. But sorry, I'll leave it there. Yep. No, yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, through truckerlawyer.ca, Rebel News was helping um, some of the people involved in this, not the people who were charged with conspiracy to commit murder, but some of the other people with, you know, mischief related offenses and and I think even some traffic related stuff because they were just throwing everything they could at these truckers. But you, Chad Williamson from Williamson Law was representing them and um, he's always great for a soundbite. So I really look forward Man. to that interview. Well, and, and I, sorry, I said that was the last thing, but I went over these articles and the way that they described the situation. And I think well, one of the videos that they published, uh, it showed, you know, that there was these people that were arrested, you know, close to the Coots blockade and whatever. And they don't show you the footage of where the arrests were happening. They show you the footage of where the protest was happening because they want the peaceful protesters to have this negative connotation hanging over their heads. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. The CTV article that you sent into the chat there. Um, it says that RCMP officers were engaged in wiretaps and there were undercover officers embedded in the protest. Although I think everybody probably knew that, but I think it's pretty creepy to think that there were undercover officers likely standing alongside the truckers when the truckers were having privileged conversations 
with their lawyer, Chad Williamson, the police and anybody else, they're not supposed to be involved in those what they call legally privileged conversations. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm I'm. 99% certain there were probably undercover police officers eavesdropping on those conversations between the truckers and their lawyer, Chad Williamson. Well, and, and the uh, police, they didn't go through the judge. These were um, uh, specific uh, document requests or specific wiretap requests that were in relation to them perceiving immediate harm and danger to a police officer, which is what got them these warrants. Uh, even though, as they mentioned, you know, this uh, alleged uh, hockey bag filled with weapons never showed up. They never saw it, apparently. But even still, they acted on it. Now, switching lanes, story. let's yeah, talk about... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. I, I think it's a crazy, a crazy story because, um, you know, they're really, I mean, there were thousands of people at that protest Literally. at Coots and at Milk River. Literally thousands. People from both sides of the border, people from all across the West, uh, they went to Coots. And the ease which with, they are all being painted with the same brush. I guess that's what uh, bailout bucks gets you. From Justin Trudeau. <laughs> yeah. And more importantly, thank God you guys were there to tell the real story of what was happening there. Because what I saw, and I think what you guys saw, were just peaceful, often prayerful men who were driven to do this, I guess, extreme act of peaceful civil disobedience. Because yeah. there was no violence. They were respectful to the police. Um you know, what's the the most aggressive thing they did to the police was sing O Canada in their face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, truckerlawyer.ca, you can see all of our coverage, see what actually happened down there at the blockade, uh, because no other journalist from any of these mainstream outlets was even allowed, basically, uh, in the smugglers saloon. So feel free to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, you guys were in there pretty well full time. That was your office, frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll touch on a couple, two more Alberta stories, and then we'll move into um, federal stuff because, well, maybe three more. We'll do three more. Um, because uh, Melanie Jolie, I, I don't think she's reading the room. <laughs> but uh, but uh, that's, the, that's a liberal problem. Um, so let's talk about this hate crime that you probably never heard of. Because if this had happened at a mosque or anywhere else or on a pride sidewalk, uh, if you had squashed your tires on a pride sidewalk, you'd be canceled from your life and your children would be canceled from life and they would not be allowed. Your grandchildren wouldn't be allowed to have a job. Um, but uh, a hate crime happens to a church again. Um, and as it turns out, the they are not we are not. I the most um, the most targeted group Catholics, but we have seen the largest increase in hate crimes against us. Um, and it specifically comes from our churches being vandalized, burned, um, our, our, our icons being desecrated, things like that. So um, we've seen as a Catholic, and I say we as a Catholic, a 260% increase in hate crimes year over year. Again, somebody points out, sure, that, but that doesn't mean you're the most targeted. No, it doesn't. It still remains, um, it still remains uh, the Jewish community. But that is a 
huge increase year over year. Now, let's there's a hate crime happened in Calgary and it happened again at a Catholic church and uh, nobody seems to care. So hate crime investigation, hate crimes unit investigates vandalism of a Jesus statue at a Southwest church. Uh, Calgary Police Service hate crime and extremism team is investigating the vandalism of a statue of Jesus at Sacred Heart Church last week. And uh, around 5.30 p.m. on September 1st, a man approached the front of the Catholic Church um, and used a hammer to break off a finger on the left hand of the statue and then fled on foot. Um, You know, it sounds like he's, you know, obviously... I see this and I'm like, that's a frail left winger doing everything he can to damage a statue of Jesus and only busting a finger. Um, the man is described as five feet, 11 inches with a slim build, tattoos on his left arm, wearing an orange T-shirt. Uh, just making sure it wasn't one of those all children matter shirts. Possibly, um, and uh, ball cap or sunglasses, dark construction pants and construction boots. Uh, security camera caught the crime in action. It's not believed to be connected to any other incidences. You know, the reason that that security camera caught that is because last year during the spate of church burnings, the Alberta government gave a grant to places of worship to up their security, to buy surveillance systems. Because frankly, it's the last thing a church thinks about sometimes because you you know, you want your doors to be open all the time because people have, um, you know, despair and they need their church outside of bankers hours. But because of what happened over the last summer when churches were being burned, it really did change the relationship that people had with their churches where you just couldn't go to church whenever you needed to say your rosary. Um, I noticed even at, um, I think it's St. Josephat in Edmonton. That was where the statue of St. John Paul II, the Great, was uh, vandalized, was covered in red paint. It used to be a church where you could go up, you could sit under that statue, you could pray for intercession, whatever, you go into the church. Now the church is basically fortified. It's got a... like a little fence that you can't get onto the property except during certain hours. And I think that's... I. For me, that's probably one of the most damaging consequences of all of this is that um, we just can't go to our churches anymore. They have to be fortified institutions like prisons for our icons and our altars. Well, and you got to think, you know, when we had, what was it, the, the Summer of Rage, I guess it was called, uh, you know, dozens upon yeah. dozens of churches vandalized, burned, you know, uh, I, I think even Archer Pulowski's church, someone had left fecal matter uh, on the property yeah. uh, and, you know, a wide range of debris. And it's, it's very, uh, it's sad to say the least, because, you know, the, the perceived or the perception that a lot of these people have that would go against uh, the church in this capacity, a, a lot of it stems from uh, a lot of the... Uh, quickly asserted uh, stories in relation to uh, the burial grounds in uh, uh, what was it, BC and in Manitoba. So it's kind of unfortunate that there was uh, that amount of hate that developed from what inevitably was found out to be not exactly the truth. Now, granted, you know, nobody's here to say that what happened to the indigenous community in Pastor, that the residential schools were, you know, perfect, you know, sent from high above to teach us all, you know, plebs what the right thing is to do. But um, 
this reaction now, it's like, oh, it, this is something we already knew about. And we're building on what is known to create this fantasy that'll upset people. Yeah, and it doesn't help when your prime minister says that he understands why it's happening. No, I don't understand the compulsion to burn down a place of worship. I don't I, I can't get myself there. Um, and for a bunch of um, largely atheistic people um, on the left who say um, that, you know, religion is superstitious and, you know, you're just praying to a sky fairy. Um, it sure, sure seems stu superstitious and religious to believe in generational curses that the Catholics of today have to pay for the sins of Catholics of the past. I don't believe in that, um, but they sure do. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting situation. And then even uh, if you e even if I wasn't to take it to a, a place of the worship of God, uh, still just going to the church itself and, you know, going uh, and sitting and thinking or for somebody who wants to or needs to have a meal. Uh, these aren't just places where uh, a select group of hard ideologues yeah. uh, go to pray. This is a place of openness, a place where uh, people receive the help that they need more often than not. Yeah, you know, especially I, I go back to St. Josephat um, because I would stop there every time I was going downtown to the legislature or whatever. And uh, that's in not a great neighborhood. And so for the church to be forced to be fortified, unfortunately, that means that people who need access to the services that the church provides, the clothing bank, the the food, the connecting you with Catholic social services, connecting you with drug treatment, or just saying, you know what, yeah, you have fallen on hard times, but you're still a valuable individual. And maybe today's the day that you start making a better tomorrow. Um, there's a lot of people who are going without because of the actions of these vandals. And I think Again, I say that's probably the worst part of all of this is that um, the church is no longer that welcoming place in the community because it can't be. Because if they want the church to stand tomorrow, it has to um, take its security safely and, and seriously. Um, OK, with that, let's move on to the next uh, church related story. Again, Alberta, um, it's really had a war on religious freedom. And that's another thing, too. When churches have been painted as uncaring COVID scofflaws who don't care about the community and want to kill their grandmothers. And then Justin Trudeau says, I can totally understand why these churches are getting burned down. Maybe don't do it, but I can totally uh, understand. It creates uh, an anti-Christian atmosphere where the churches are actually the bad guys in the community instead of a place of hope and comfort. And that's been the case for Church in the Vine in Edmonton. Um, I don't think we need to show a clip of this, but I, they, um, right down to the wire, they were given an $80,000 fine. What did they do? This. Let's get out of here. Skedaddle. When the health inspector came to the church during church services, after it had already invaded the church several times, including it was like a task force of uh, city cops, bylaw officers and health inspectors. They were like this church task force and they would go to churches and invade the churches and the Sunday schools, which as a parent puts me off the rev limiter. They would run around inside the church during services. Then one time they even tried to talk to the pastor there, uh, Pastor Rodney, while he was on the pulpit. That happened one too many times. Pastor Tracy said, you guys are not coming in anymore. But 
Tracy, if you see her in my video, th that lady's not violent. She's not rude. She's like the nicest, most politest, kindest lady. She probably prayed. I know she prayed for them after she kicked them out. Um, but all she said on three separate occasions was, get out of here. Come back later when we're not doing services. They never came back later because they didn't actually care about checking for COVID compliance. Um, they only cared about invading the church. So it's not like they actually cared if they were following the rules. They just wanted access. And so um, they were given an $80,000 fine, which is way out of whack. Wait, like it's like a hundreds fine normally, not a tens of thousands approaching $100,000 fine. They paid that. They crowdfunded it at the last minute because they were going to get civil enforcement. But the good news is their appeal is going ahead. So they have their lawyer, James Kitchen, from the Democracy Fund um, through generous donations of our viewers at home. That's going to go ahead. sounds like next. Well, no, not next. This Friday, it's going ahead. And um, hopefully they'll be able to get that $80,000 back because if those fines are stayed, which is ideally what he hopes for, uh, they'll get that $80,000 back and the church can actually do something good with it because uh, there's no victim here. The government is not the victim. Um, the only victims here are the good congregants of Church in the Vine who um, had their church invaded by the government several times. Yeah, it's a shame. And I've actually met them. They are very nice people. Uh, and, you know, I just, same thing with this 80000 thousand dollar fine how many pastors have been charged across canada right and a, a notable figure in this is arthur Pulowski, pastor arthur Pulowski. well how much how many people could you feed on the streets with eighty thousand dollars you know and, and what at the end of the day what's the government going to do with it they're going to hire another bureaucrat so you know i i think it's it's pretty cut and dry where that money should be going and uh, what should happen with these tickets but of course it has to go through the uh, uh the courts and uh we'll see what happens i suppose yeah, I think in this specific instance, there's like a, I think it's $16,000 of this is a victim's surcharge. Like, who the heck is the victim here? Jason Kenny? No, like, there's no victim here. Nobody was even sick. They testified. Health inspectors testified there's not actually a case or an outbreak ever been attributed to this church. Their only crime was telling the health inspector to come back later, and the health inspector never did. So obviously public health wasn't top of mind. Um, it was just bringing this church under the thumb of the government. Well, and funny enough, speaking of AHS, uh, Jason Kenney's had some words uh, on them recently as well. Uh, notably, it yeah, seems like he's... Yeah, yeah, let's throw the clip. Capacity for our healthcare system that this government inherited was 173 staffed ICU beds. So we were given a September surprise uh, a year ago that uh, the best the system could do was to stretch from 173 to 230. Which, uh, uh, now, there are complex reasons uh, for that, but it was, in my view, unacceptable uh, to have decision makers uh, surprised with that uh, radical reduction in stretch capacity uh, at the last minute in a critical moment. And uh, I don't think that would be acceptable in, uh, it's, it, in any institution. Um, and so we had to um, look at every possible means 
of increasing that surge capacity and eventually we uh, established a total maximum surge capacity with all of these kinds of strategies you've mentioned of 380 ICU beds. And we capped out at about 335 at the peak of the Delta wave uh, in September of last year. So, you know, all politics aside, decision makers need clear and timely information when you're dealing with a crisis like this. And um, we simply did not receive that. So, sorry. Well, I Sheila, hope he who, finds the guy in charge. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just about that. What's the chain of command there between AHS and uh, Jason Kenney? Uh, I'm sorry, does the AHS control him? Is, is that how that works? Well, and what happened? Well, and what happened to Tyler Shandro? Did he get demoted? No, he got shuffled to a new portfolio, a lateral move out of health. Um, but he didn't get demoted to the back bench. And these are his people. So who's responsible for this? You know, like well, and at the end, it goes all the way up to Jason Kenney. I hope he hunts down the guy in charge of the province and holds him to account. The bureaucrats yeah. are out of control. Guess what? You're the guy who's supposed to get them under control. Don't look at me and blame me. And punish Albertans and Albertan businesses, by the way, because that's why we went into lockdown is because the Alberta Health Services couldn't up their surge capacity. Sorry, but regular Albertans should not bear the consequences of the ineptitude of those decision makers in the healthcare system. And a September surprise, again, excusez-moi, we're two years into a pandemic, apparently, and just then you're figuring out last September about surge capacity? How are you just getting blindsided with this information? That should have been the first thing in his in his hands back in March of 2020. What's the surge capacity in the ICU beds? And how do we get that beyond 300? How do we double it? But they he just figures that out in September of 2021? Give me a break. Every decision maker should have been fired. Instead, only Jason Kenney was by the party. But everybody else should be fired too. Well, and we've talked about this before, where it's very much a, a passing the buck scenario. Like you've got the, the lowest level bureaucrat that knocks on the church and says, you know, sorry, it's Alberta Health Services that's telling me to do this. And then Alberta Health Services says, you know, sorry, it's the uh, uh, Canada Health or Health Canada that's telling us to do this. And then Health Canada says, oh, sorry, it's the World Health Organization. Well, what have we got Jason Kenney for if all we're going to do is let these bureaucrats run rampant? Like, he's the one who's supposed to put the checks and balances in place as the premier, as the man of Alberta. He's the one who's supposed to be defending us. And where was he? Well, and, like, everybody seems to forget the role that Tyler Shandro played in all of this, the health minister. So he's the health minister overseeing these bureaucrats who are not obviously not doing their jobs, that they're finding out being blindsided last minute that there's no surge capacity. He wasn't fired. He was shuffled out into um, justice and solicitor general. So he becomes, he moves from the health minister who failed so badly at his job that they had to criminalize church and becomes the guy enforcing the criminalization of church. He should be under a rock somewhere, never showing his play, his face in politics ever again. And he's getting a lateral move to justice. Well, he, he wants to go back to the Sky Palace. That's all it is. Yeah, that's exactly Sorry. it.
It's true. It's true. I, I, that picture just irks me so badly. Okay. Let's move away from, <laughs> let's move away from Alberta. Do we want to show an ad before we go to Melanie Jolie, uh, failing to read the room and re- like completely forgetting the, her history, um, <laughs> the entire history of the liberal party the last seven years. But do we have an ad before we move into that? Let's do one. My mug. I know, it's pretty cool. So is this hoodie I got on, and you could have it on too if you check out our special website at rebelnewsstore.com. That's where you can see Freedom Focus hoodies that we have for you, beanies, cell phone cases, you name it, all while supporting our journalism where we fight to bring you the other side of the story as opposed to, you know, being forced by the Trudeau government to fund leftist media out of your taxes. The truth is, without you, and your generosity, there is no Rebel News. So again, if you like the reports that we bring you and that we also fight for freedoms in Canada, please consider doing some shopping, picking up some swag at rebelnewsstore.com. We appreciate your support. Yeah, you got to make sure to get that merchandise. You know, I, I, I wear the hat way too often, practically all the time. I sleep with it as well. Uh, it's very comfortable, even in the shower. But uh, for me, I mentioned it last stream, you know, it's all about the psychological warfare. When I go to work, how many people are going to see rebel or rebel? And in the back of their head, that'll stick. Well, that's what it's all about. So if you want to join the team, go to uh, rebelnewsstore.com. <laughs> yeah, and it's a secret bat signal to all the other people in like out in the wild. That if they yep. see you wearing Rebel merch, they sort yep. of wink because they know. They, they know because it doesn't say like Rebel uh, News or anything like that. It's subtle. And people who know, exactly. they know. Exactly. Um, let's go uh, before the show wraps up. Um, the liberals are obviously scared of Pierre Polyev, which warms the cockles of my heart. Um, as the seasons change and turn to fall, uh, the fear and gnashing of the teeth of the liberals will keep me warm at night. Uh, it's like a cozy blanket around my body. Um, <laughs> I see that Foreign Affairs Minister <laughs> Melanie Jolie, uh, she's concerned that Pierre Polyev might be a little too divisive. Um, and so, um, I mean, d- let's just roll this. I got, I got a lot to say. People want Canadians value good government and they don't want the polarization they've seen in other countries including south of the border so based on that we'll make sure that we deliver that we're connected and meanwhile for the rest if Pierre Poliev wants to go into uh, you know division it's his decision will be about hope and hard work people want Canadians Hope and hard work. Like, can we just lay off the Obama-isms, by the way? But uh, she starts off by saying uh, (laughs) Canadians value good government. You know, frankly, I'm not so sure we do, uh, considering they've elected Justin Trudeau, uh, I think it's thrice now, three times. So I'm not sure that Canadians value good government the way the liberals think they do, because if they did, they would just quit electing liberals. But secondarily, she's worried about polarization, like what we're seeing south of the border. Uh, her boss said that the unvaccinated are just taking up space, that they shouldn't be on the planes and trains with those righteous triple vaxxed or quadruple vaxxed or whatever the heck it is now. Every 90 days now, get on the vaccination train. Um, yeah. Her boss is the one that calls people who disagree with him 
who might even be to the left of the Liberal Party when you look at like the green types and the like anti-pharma people, they might actually be those granola types. Um, I'm one of those like I'm anti-big pharma because I don't like being told what to do. But there's granola types on the other side who think crystals cure cancer and they are very concerned about what gets put into their body and they think their food has vibrations and whatever. Um, that's their choice. Um, but they're probably to the left of Justin Trudeau. And he's the one calling them extremists, racist, sexist, homophobic, fringe radicals and saying that they have they're just taking up space, breathing up all the good air on the liberals. And this lady, I bite my tongue, says that Pierre Polyev is the one that wants to div the division. I'm sorry. We're already divided and her boss is the guy to blame. Yeah. Well, and if you go back uh, to 2016, I believe, to the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, where uh, Justin Trudeau is uh, sitting aside from Klaus Schwab, I mean, he talks pretty openly about how he's aware of how effective a political strategy of division really is, but he thinks it's unnecessary and useful. It's been a little while since I've watched it, so I encourage you to watch that clip. Uh, but he basically lays the groundwork for what he's doing right now and says at the time that it's not a useful or momentarily beneficial strategy. Strategy. So he, he's aware, certainly, of what he's doing and the division that he's bringing forward, to say the least. Um, and I think he just doesn't care. And now he's, he's, I guess you could say, dug himself into a corner that he probably wants to be in. Uh, and there's, uh, there's no taking him out of it. He's going to ride this train as long as it takes. And that's why, uh, wherever you stand on the, uh, the next election, I think it's fair to say that Trudeau is not going to be the victor because he's got all this baggage and he's refusing to not even cooperate but even to have the conversation with those so that he would consider to have unacceptable views yeah he doesn't even want to talk to them you look how he yeah. treated the truckers he treated them like terrorists he'll yeah, he sit down COVID. and have an action he got got covid again oopsie yeah. doodle um and yeah he wouldn't even walk out there and talk mm -hmm. to them but then he invokes a literal terrorism law to seize their bank accounts. He criminalized having a different opinion than himself. That's what he did. And he used all the levers of the government to do it. And then we've got his MPs trotting out saying, you know, we've got to be careful about division. You seized the bank accounts of people who disagreed with you and you arrested a peaceful Métis grandma on the street. The woman is like four foot ten and she was public enemy number one. And this lady is concerned about political division. But you know what? As long as Justin Trudeau funds the media, he's going to get away with it. Because you look, he's Canada's feminist government and everybody else is a sexist. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure. I, I, ha I haven't heard rumors. I haven't even heard rumors of Pierre Polyev groping a journalist. But Justin yeah. Trudeau groped journalist and then flexes his power over her saying well if i had known you were a journalist i never would have groped you sort of was what he said so if she were uh, a more helpless woman i guess you only grope the helpless and not women with the ability to speak truth to power oh i get it um yeah he's you know everybody else is a racist but i'm pretty sure again pierre polyev i don't think he's done blackface again at least three times but so many times that justin trudeau forgot about it um, who's the fringe radical here? You know, I would yeah. be running around with women and wearing blackface. That's kind of a fringe way to live your life. Call me crazy. Yeah.
No, yeah, it, Trudeau has so much baggage at this point that I uh, honestly I don't think that he could win another election. Now he seems to be uh, going ahead and he's maybe going to attempt to fight tooth and nail for it. Uh, but what is it a, a narcissistic trait where you can't apologize? So uh, it, it's yep. very much to that extent I would say is why he's going the road he's going. And he said he's going to be. Uh, I think he mentioned recently that he's going to be the face of the uh, the Liberals in the next election. Well, good luck to the Liberals. You know what? I think that's actually a good move. <laughs> uh, for us, because who wants to vote for Trudeau now after he's literally torn apart everyone's family from coast to coast to coast, as he would say. And, you know, you talk about uh, blackface and groping. I mean, we still don't have a clean water for the indigenous reserves or not reserves, but the uh, indigenous yeah. communities that are out there. They still don't have clean water. Yeah. And yet he's going to bend the knee or take the knee with the photo shoot with a little teddy bear uh, by the mass graves of a, uh, what was allegedly a mass graves based on this uh, ground penetrating radar. Well, it's also kind of convenient that you're not supposed to bear or uh, dig up somebody's uh, uh, burial ground. I mean, that's that's not exactly an appropriate maneuver. So what? Now we just have to go with the assumptions here. And all of this is built yep. up to, I think, just way too much baggage for him to be able to hold on to the election one more time. Yeah, I'm a, I don't know. Never underestimate. Although I think Pierre Polyev might be a little bit different, but never underestimate the ability of conservatives to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory um, and just how gruesome the media is going to get because uh, Justin Trudeau is their sugar daddy um, and if he goes away, then their money goes away and then they have to figure out how to create a product that Canadians are willing to pay for. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. And so I say, bring on another round of layoffs in the mainstream media. Can't wait. Um, we should get to our chats, although I am not. You don't. Okay. okay, perfect. So I don't see that we have any. I thought we did. Maybe I saw it out of the corner of my eye, but I think that was from the other day. I think that's it. Um, we've gone past, so um I have some things to get to. I know that you are a busy guy. You're trying to track down documents um, from the Lethbridge Courthouse, which apparently is a full-time job. <laughs> so uh, I want to uh, thank you so much for being on the show with me today, Sid. Uh, you know what? I'll give you some an opportunity to talk. I've been talking a little bit too much. Oh, no, likewise. It's a uh, great to chat. And I think, uh, well, as always, I really appreciate all of our viewers that have stuck around. Uh, and of course, yeah, leave your comments. I'm, I'm probably going to read through the comments later sometime today, just to see what, where people's minds are at. Uh, because of course there's a lot of news and the tides are turning right now. So we are, uh, you know, we're facing a new world, so to speak. And we've got, uh, what looks like perhaps a new leader coming soon. We'll see. But, uh, otherwise, thanks everyone for tuning in. Yeah, I saw a lot of people being really hopeful uh, mm -hmm. about the conservative movement in yeah. Canada. And uh, that's a new feeling. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if we've felt that way since um, when did Stephen Harper unite <laughs> the Canadian Alliance? Like, yeah. it's it's been a really long time since well, uh, Canadian got the conservatives funk. felt really good. Yeah. 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 Pierre's yeah. got the, uh, the jazz so. behind him, you know, so it's uh, it'll play well for him, to say the least. I think uh, the big jazz in his pocket, though, is that little cute little wife of his. Um, <laughs> you just compare her on paper to that aging yoga debutante that Justin Trudeau calls a wife. And, you know, I don't 
I, I don't I don't just dis, don't dislike Sophie Trudeau, but I'm not sure what she does in a day. No. <laughs> um, and maybe, you know, it's for the best that she doesn't say much or do much, just like stay out of the way and I don't know order gourmet groceries all day long. I think that's mostly what she does. But on the campaign trail, speaking to new Canadians, boy, oh boy, Anida Polyev is going to be just uh, a nuclear bomb in the middle of the Liberal campaign. And I look forward to that because good luck attacking her. Good luck. Good luck. It's going to look real ugly on them. Um, So that's it. That's the show today. Um, Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, Sid, for being such a great co-host. Thanks to everybody in the office and who works behind the scenes um, across the country to put the show together to make sure that all the links are there for you to click so that you can find us. Um, Thanks to everybody who normally pitches in on the show. Keep the lights on. And uh, I think as David Menzies always says, stay sane. Here's how it's called a spine. They have a, a dynamic spine and a static spine, and that's how stiff they are. So with a dynamic spine, it's how much they flex when you shoot the bow. That's the important one. The static spine is just how much they bend when they're just there. Uh, because if you have too soft of an arrow, which it flexes too much, it can blow up in the bow. The broadheads essentially are a razor blade on the front of your arrow. They're a point with razor blades attached, this is what you need to use. You need to have minimum seven eighths of an inch broadhead in order to hunt with, because you want to hunt and be ethical about it. You don't want that animal to suffer. Uh, and hunting is about the the most ethical and humane way to get your meat. Uh, they're free range, organic. Uh, lived a good life. Lived a good life. Uh, and I mean, what more could you ask for?